The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Unless the nerves really get to them, I think this is, for them, a little more critical because the Bengals, I feel like they're playing with house money here because it is so early in uh, Joe Burrow's career. So I guess I never really was a believer for this season, and I, I still am not. So Jeff Meller, really cool to chat with you. We've done this a few times now. I know we talked before last year's Super Bowl. We talked before this NFL season. Uh, so how are you doing, and how excited are you for this upcoming Super Bowl? Uh, you know, I like, Will, that we've got some new participants, at least in regards to uh, you know, the Rams not having won recently with all the players on their roster and the Bengals, a fresh face. I think that always makes it a little bit more intriguing because as much as it was fun to watch Tom Brady do what he did for the past 20 years, there was a little bit of, you know, fatigue as well. I think if you're just a casual viewer, sometimes you just like to see someone new in the mix and to have Stafford and Burroughs squaring off with the Rams and Bengals. Uh, I actually like that storyline a lot, so I'm pretty excited about that aspect of it. Then a little bit bittersweet as well, though, because I know as soon as Sunday wraps up, we hit the doldrums, and you know, with uh, with baseball in the midst of a lockout and um, hockey for the Hawks not looking great right now, every everything's going to be reliant on watching what the what, what uh, shakes out with the Bulls here. Um, and so uh, for a team that's fun to watch, but I don't think necessarily has uh, a deep playoff run in it. For me, it's a little bittersweet when, when Super Bowl Sunday rolls around because I cling to it knowing that it's all going to end very soon. Yeah, well said because uh, first off, going back to the Super Bowl part, uh, I'm right there with you in terms of kind of new blood. The Rams, I know were in it a couple of years ago, but it's a good storyline on their part. And then, of course, the Bengals defying all kinds of odds. But yeah, I'm, I was just thinking the same thing. Baseball is lockout, and hopefully that's going to end soon. And you mentioned the Bulls, and I guess we'll have March Madness, hopefully. As, I mean, I don't anticipate any reason why we wouldn't, but you never know this time in these in these times. But uh, yeah, kind of looking at this this football game. So I I'm going to have you kind of give me kind of the the strengths and weaknesses for both teams, and so we can start with the Rams. So when you think of the Rams, so obviously I think they were among the favorites all year to kind of at least be a contender for sure in terms of obviously playoffs and then. I think a lot of people probably assume they might be in the Super Bowl or at least have a shot at it. And so here they are, uh, of course, new quarterback with Matthew Stafford. So when you when you look at this Rams team and kind of maybe their how they've gotten to this point in, over the last few weeks in the playoffs, uh, what kind of sticks out to you in terms of maybe their strengths and then of course their any weaknesses that you might, if you know, if you were a Rams fan, would maybe concern you. Rams, I think, are extremely compelling when you think about the way their entire offseason unfolded. You know, they were, uh, uh, Sean McVay was amongst the coaches that were all coincidentally holed up in Cabo at the same time as Matt Stafford when, you know, conveniently leaked that the, the Lions were willing to entertain trade scenarios for him. And uh, it was Sean McVay, Sean Payton, Kyle Shanahan, and if you'll recall, uh, Matt Nagy, who all happened to be at Cabo at the same time. So whether or not you buy that that just was, is the uh, elite spot for NFL head coaches and quarterbacks to hang out in the offseason, sure. Yeah. 
or if you think uh, you know it was it was uh, more than a coincidence that uh, Matthew Stafford wanted out of Detroit and lined up some QE needy teams to make sure that they were there at the same time so they could have some, some discussions to kind of flesh it out. I, I think that's probably the most likely scenario that occurred. And, you know, so Sean McVay and the Rams were aggressive as they have been basically during the entirety of Leslie's tenure there. And, you know, I think everybody, the real surprise in that situation was the fact that they were able to unload Jerry Goff's contract, right? Like right. they had to give up the additional first round picks in order to make that happen. But they, the Lions were willing to take it on, grab the first round picks because they knew that their time with Stafford was ending. And so that was the, you know, a really interesting offseason that unfolded. And then the Rams start the season out 3-0, and uh, beating the Bucks in that third game. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, this team's for real. Matt Stafford's an MVP, MVP candidate. And, you know, I think he, he clearly was. And they, they went on a run there, too, where I think they were like 7 or 8-1, and one, right? Yeah. And so it really looked like they were they were in the midst of a, of a potential one seed. Then they had a hiccup where they lost three in a row in the, you know, around November. And then, you know, they finished off pretty strong again with uh, it all concluding with this loss to the 49ers. So it, it felt like for the entire season with the Rams, every time people wanted to become believers in them, there would be a moment or, you know, a, a game here or there or a hiccup along the way yeah. where people would talk themselves out of it and say, no, 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 look, there it is. There's the pick, you know, they got throttled by the Niners. Again, you know, there's the pick by Stafford, the untimely pick. Uh, every, every, whenever they need to come up with something, Stafford is always lurking. And so I think people try, try to talk themselves out of it. But the truth is that they're just, a, you know, they have a lot of star talent. Mm. And I think most players on an NFL roster, you know, it just the 53-man roster are pretty solid. It's for the most part, if you can fill in the the upper echelons of your roster with some stars, you can really have a difference making team. And I think that's why the Rams' blueprints for building a roster has been really smart, and it has come to fruition here, where they've been able to lean on their their really good players in Stafford and Cup, and you know, defensively, of course, Donald Ramsey and Von Miller, and even Leonard Floyd chipping in to be a contributor on the other side of, you know, guys like Miller and Donald. So you've got some upper echelon elite talent, which is leading the way. And I think it's, I, I, I do wonder how many teams are going to try and use that blueprint as, you know, something to be a, to mm-hmm. a bit of a copycat. Yeah. In a copycat league, can other teams actually do what they're doing? I think the, the reality is, though, you need somebody who is a good play caller like Sean McVay mm. in order to kind of make this all work. And, you know, there's a lot on the line. I think for more so than anything else, when I look at this game, the Rams and Bengals, well, for me, it feels like this one for the Rams has a lot riding on it. Mm-hmm. It feels like the Bengals, the Bengals arrived a little bit early, earlier yeah. than anybody anticipated. Right. And they've got, you know, a great upright future ahead of them. McVay, though, and the Rams, having lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots where they were just completely shut down mm-hmm. offensively, you know, it, it feels like this one, Sean McVay goes in knowing that they have to do everything they can because all those elite players I mentioned are not going to be, oh, I, I think I failed to mention Beckham when I ran through all the list of stars, right? Right, yeah. All, you know, they're going to be like Bob Miller, Beckham, whether or not they're going to be back with the Rams, you know, going forward. That's up in the 
Pierre because of their contract status. So it feels like McVay really needs, at least for his coaching legacy now here going forward, he really needs to win this one. Otherwise, man, it's going to be a monkey on his back for a while. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think sometimes we don't, you know, we watch it, we watch the season unfold, but it's like, we don't always comprehend how difficult it actually is to get to a Super Bowl, right? Oh, yeah. And so I think this, this is critical for the Rams and McVeigh in particular, and of course Stafford, to try and win this one on Sunday, because if they don't, man, it's just, it's going to be, a, it's going to be tough to answer those questions week in and week out next year and, and the years after if they don't win it. Yeah, it's definitely a, a win now Rams team. Like you mentioned, all the moves, and you know they went out there and may have it may have been controversial bringing in guys like uh, Odell Beckham, but that seems to have worked out at least to this point, obviously. And uh, you know, it's just it's interesting. Like you mentioned, Sean. Let me interrupt you because I'm just curious. You say you know controversial when the Rams made the move for Beckham, or I guess when he picked them. You know, they didn't have to really give up anything. Yeah. Because- the uh, the Browns were cutting ties with him. Did you really feel like it was controversial, or were you like, "Wow, there's just another another really good player on their roster"? Because like I remember thinking at the time, boy, and this was obviously before Robert Woods had gone down with mm, ACL yeah. injury. But I just remember thinking, I mean, that's perfect because you're not giving like that's just the type of situation where you wish the Bears were just in position to even have a chance yeah. to make a move like that because the Rams were a good team and you knew that a, a star like Beckham who was going to sign for, you know, the minimum essentially would just look around and say like, all right, well, which teams give me the best shots to win? And I never really felt like it was a controversial move when they were doing it. Oh yeah. For the Rams sake, I thought that's a good move. I mean, you mentioned like that was before that injury that had, that had occurred. So it's like at the time it was like maybe even more of a luxury, but then it became an essential need anyway. Yeah. I didn't really think of it as controversial in terms of the, what the Rams, cause I figured he's not going to, he's not going to, do anything to you know disrupt the flow out there of what they're doing and even with the brown side of things i i can't even necessarily remember all the drama that might have been going on i remember chatter and i remember whether it was his dad or whoever but uh i was like i think he could be i think he'll be fine at least this season with this rams team i don't think he's going to do anything to cause any uh issues but you hit the, you hit the nail on the head there because i think it's always if if you see it, this, this plays out every couple of years in the NFL with a wide receiver mm-hmm. because they're so dependent on the quarterback to get them the ball and to do their job, right? Yep. So whenever a wide receiver who you know is usually a special talent is showing frustration, in particular because the quarterback is not getting them the ball, I feel like if you're a team who has a stable organization and a good quarterback like the Rams had in Matt Stafford, where you feel comfortable can get that guy the ball. And like you just said, you knew it was only going to be for the remainder of the season because uh, ODB was trying to rehabilitate his own reputation a little bit. It's like that's exactly when you want to scoop in and make those moves because the guy has a lot to prove. And yeah. the truth is that he's probably not going to be disruptive in your locker room for at least that season. You know, And even like I'm thinking back, even last year, Antonio Brown, right? Yep, yep. He, he didn't make any waves last year right. with uh, Brady and the Bucks. It wasn't until this year when he finally started to feel comfortable in the locker room and had gotten, you know, uh, another contract. So it's just it's with receivers who it's sometimes predictable, I feel like. 
Yeah, I was just thinking the Antonio Brown thing as well before you mentioned that. So it's a good, definitely, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I did think, yeah, this is a good move for the Rams. And then it became an essential need in terms of, well, they're, you know, who was it? Uh, you just mentioned the name, uh, Woods, yeah, with his injuries. So, um, yeah, I thought, yeah, I don't think this will blow up in the Rams' face. And I guess for Cleveland's sake, I guess, you know, they're ready to kind of cut ties and move on past that. But, you know, different scenarios for a, a Rams team that's, of course, now in the Super Bowl and a Browns team that, honestly, I think disappointed in terms of not making the playoffs because it's kind of funny, but they were the, I don't know, maybe not a Super Bowl they were kind of a dark horse, I think, sexy pick by a lot of people before the season. And so I thought it was ironic that a team like the Bengals instead made the Super Bowl because being from Ohio, I cannot remember the, either team really ever being good, let alone both kind of at the same time. So kind of ironic that it played out the way that it did. Um, but yeah, as far as as, the, as, far as the Rams, um, you kind of, I think you kind of talked about like the height of or the weight maybe on you know, this game in terms of going forward, it's a win now team. Uh, you mentioned how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, I was just looking at Matthew Stafford, and it's crazy to me that he's already 30. I'm 34, or I'm going to be 34. He is 34. So, in fact, he just had a birthday yesterday. I just <laughs> looking at his Wikipedia, but you know, it, there you it, go. Happy birthday, Matthew Stafford. There you go. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, I guess I did, but at the same time, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's already 34 years old. He's been in the league for over a decade, and, you know, he's finally got a shot. You know, it's like he's, after spending so many miserable years in Detroit, uh, it's kind of like, you never know. I mean, maybe this won't be his last Super Bowl, but it's also like he's 34. It's like, this has got to be the moment. Plus, you know, just like last year with the Buccaneers, this Rams team is essentially, they're playing a home game, essentially, if you can call it that. I know it's they're going to have kind of a, I guess, a split crowd. But yeah, as far as the Rams, so like, is there, are there any weaknesses that might stick out in terms of it, just aside from that pressure and, you know, kind of what's at stake? Just kind of like, you know, if you're a Bengals fan, like, what can you say? Oh, this is something we could exploit, maybe. Sure. Um, so, and I do want to make, you brought up Stafford. I do want to touch on that, too. But since you're, at, you're asking specifically about their weaknesses, I think I think the, the uh, linebackers for the Rams in pass coverage certainly are the weak spot there. So I would anticipate that the Bengals will employ a short pass and attack where they're trying to take advantage of that. And then outside of Jalen Ramsey, you know, the rest of the secondary is a bit suspect, not just because they have lost some guys to free agency over the last year or so in uh, Johnson and Hill, but they've also, you know, injuries to their secondary have, you know, yeah. made uh, Eric Weddle a necessity, you know, calling him out of uh, free agency. So I do think that the Rams defense, if uh, if the Bengals strategically employ that short passing attack, they may be able to put together some drives and, you know, create some field goal opportunities and keep it close. And if they keep the score down, you know, and late in the game, then kind of just hand it to Joe Burrow with an opportunity to make some plays and go win the game. I think that's probably the Bengals' best scenario to win this one because, you know, Evan McPherson, you know, puts them in a position where you don't have to, you know, he's automatic, it seems like, for the most part. So as long as you get him in a uh, fairly makeable field goal range, you should be able to come away with points most drives. So if they can keep it low, I think they'll have an opportunity to go ahead and win this game. But ultimately, I do think the Rams are probably going to win this one. They're my pick. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think Super Bowls are weird, too, because, you know, you mentioned that they're, they're, they're weird. They're, corp you know, yeah. they're corporate tickets for the most part.
So you you know it's you have some you have to have some real diehards if you want if you're you know we're talking like the heritage organizations like the Niners and Steelers and Cowboys when they get to the Super Bowl you know that their fans are going to travel wherever they need to mm-hmm. and they're going to show up and support them but a team like the Rams which is bounced around to you know St. Louis and LA now and really doesn't have I don't think a huge, you know, what you could call a diehard fan base, even though they're playing at home, I don't, I don't suspect they're going to have any type of real, you know, crowd advantage in terms of noise. I think their advantage comes in the fact that they're going to be at home mm-hmm. in their home city. And so they get to use their practice facilities. They get to stay at home during the week. Now, I believe they're going to stay That's at the think. hotel yeah. on Saturday, on Saturday mm-hmm. night. Which you know was not uncommon for teams to do that, yeah. um, you know. Anyway, anyway, uh, during uh, but you know, so they're they're going to have the routine to make it as normal as possible yep. um, that it could be during a Super Bowl week, and so I think that's the real advantage for them is the week leading up is they're they're going to be able to have more routine, which will allow them to, I think to deal with some of the distractions mm-hmm. that players have to deal with during you know mostly like family. Family coming in to see your, you know, Super Bowl ticket requests from anybody who, who, anyone who, anyone, anybody who, any, who is anyone in your life who knows you comes out of the woodwork and says, "Hey, I want to come see you play in the Super Bowl. Can you hook me up?" You know, They're like that is real. I've heard that from so many people who have, you know, some of the athletes who have actually played in the Super Bowl. That does exist. And it's a time suck. You know, they're yeah. trying to prepare for the biggest game of their life, and but at the same time, they've also got people who are trying to like be like, "Hey, good luck." I just you know, you know how it is when you sometimes start texting people and you could lose, you know, you know, minutes very quickly and minutes turn turn into hours. Yeah. You've got lots of people texting you and we're talking about for the most part a lot of twenty year olds who, you know, live and live spend the vast majority of their life on their their smartphones. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a situation where that's a that's a distraction they have to deal with that I think sometimes goes underrated as well. So for me I think the Rams it's gonna be interesting to see how that first quarter plays out because you always see the nerves on some players in the first quarter because, you know, the the length of introductions mm-hmm. and all the pomp and circumstance, the longer anthems and all everything that goes into, you know, the build up of the Super Bowl, you know, that also makes, you know, that adrenaline rush that players get right before. Well, usually that that you they get to go out on the field, run out and get ready to go. Well, Afterwards, they have to deal with now, you know, it's an additional 15, 20 minutes before they actually get to get out there on the field. So I think that's usually why you see, you know, teams, they don't come out strong in that first quarter. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see both teams, you know, scuffling along. And for me, it's going to be how do the Rams deal with that? Because mm-hmm. will they feel the pressure and, you know, uh, metaphorically grip the bat tighter because of that? Yeah. Or will they be able to say, oh, no, okay, I, this is, let's just get the nerves out of the way and let's get on with it because I do think they're the better team on paper. Oh, and let me get back to Stafford. Yeah. This is, I love talking about Stafford. And the truth is, like, when you look at him statistically, everything he did in Detroit, it, like, the numbers are really impressive. And now he's just shy of 50,000 yards for his career. Like you, you mentioned, he just turned 34. So another five years, which is, you know, put him at 39, which I don't think is asking too much in this day and age, the way quarterbacks and are protected in the game. He's going to end up probably second or third on almost every uh, significant passing statistic 
just because he was able to start at such a young age. Yeah. And, and the fact that he's, you know, uh, playing in the passing era, a, you know, prolific passing era. So he's going to end up finishing second or third on all the key passing stats, which means it's, I mean, if he if he gets this win, the Super Bowl win, he I think he locks up his uh, his Hall of Fame game. So I think there's a lot on the line for Matthew Stafford. He may still end up going in if they don't win because of the, the just the sheer volume. But if he if they lose this game, it will be one of those things where when they get into that room to have that Hall of Fame argument, yeah. it will still be held against them. So I really am, uh, I think, rooting for him, you know, uh, done a lot in this in this game. I'd like to see him have that great achievement on his career. Yeah, I could see, like, if he didn't get that Super Bowl, maybe that does kind of make his Hall of Fame case a little bit murkier, you know, assuming he doesn't, you know, win one or whatever. But uh, do you think Eli is in the Hall of Fame right now? See, I do. Yeah. But I think a lot of things play into that. I think um, it's it's so hard to separate, right? Because it's weird. Because I'm a you know I, I'm I'm a big stats guy in baseball. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. small sample size versus what you can actually say. Oh, that player has proved. But football is a little bit of a different animal because it, there's only you know 16 now 17 games in the season, mm-hmm. and so it's like every. NFL season in some ways is a quote small sample size, right? Yeah. And so if you're constantly kind of like picking apart the numbers and you fail to see the huge when when a guy like Eli does what he did for not just one but two playoff runs, then I think you're kind of like missing an element of what football is, right? Yeah. He played the most important position, and and I think it's going to be hard to deny, you know, the just first of all being the only. To, to stop that Patriots undefeated dynasty that they had going that season, um, to be the one to, you know, snap that is huge. But then to go do it again, right, mm-hmm. and beat the Patriots in the second Super Bowl, be, uh, I think he's only, he's one of five people who has two two or more Super Bowl MVPs, you know, multiple Super Bowl MVPs uh, on their mantle. And then uh, the other thing, which probably shouldn't play a role, but I just think when you have that Manning name, how yeah. you know it's going to be so hard for the Hall of Fame voters who have covered this league for so long to not like like Archie Manning, you know, and Peyton Manning are just beloved by anybody who's ever had the opportunity to really get to know them. And so, and, and not that Eli's not, but it's one of those things where I think it's going to be hard for people not to be uh, not to, you know vote for him. And so, do I? They, if I were voting on it and I could separate myself from everything, I think I actually I, I don't feel like he's a Hall of Fame player, but I think those two Super Bowl runs are going to be enough to get him in. Yeah, I agree. I do think that you know, like you said, the, the two Super Bowls, but also the weight of those. Uh, you mentioned it against New England and Brady. It was just, I mean, you know, if you'd won two against whoever, probably same same thing in a sense but the fact that it was new england i think that only kind of heightens that legacy for for not only eli but then you <laughs> thinking about nick Foles of all people to also beat new england in the super bowl bears fans know that so um anyways going back to uh to the Bengals side of things so i think they had amongst the greatest odds to you know odds against them in terms of being a team before the season that you know to sniff the Super Bowl, let alone probably even make the playoffs. And so, uh, you know, I 
I don't think I would have thought much from the Bengals other than the fact that Joe Burrow's coming off this, what was it, the ACL injury. So I figured, okay, comeback player of the year type of a season. If they're lucky, maybe they're sort of sniffing the playoff conversation. But, you know, Joe Burrow played well. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person or the first person to come up with this, but to me, he's Joe Cool. Not only is he seemingly cool under pressure on the field, but the guy is just so cool off the field and just has this this way about him right now. But yeah, Joe Burrow, uh, here are here the Bengals are. Yeah, I mean, how how I mean, when you look back at the Bengals season, uh, were you ever ever thinking like, oh, this team could maybe be dangerous or or they can get into the playoffs, or were you ever thinking like this team is? They're a good team, but they're, like you mentioned before, they're probably a year or so away. So, you know, I never took them seriously as a Super Bowl contender. Now, there was a point in the season, I think it might have been like around week 12 or 13, when they had, uh, I think, like four losses. So they were probably like eight and four or something like that. And the AFC had just everybody in the conference seemingly had four losses right mm-hmm. and so at the like I, like usually when we get when we get to around halfway through the season eight or nine weeks pretty much uh, one, one of the things i always do to kind of wrap up the week is i take a look at this, the standings around and just kind of see where everybody's falling as we start to look at it. and i'm sure most football fans do this on you know monday morning kind of just perusing now it's kind of become more like a sunday night thing for me with the way the uh the way the internet makes you know things so easy to do but, you know, it's always been kind of part of my routine is to kind of check the standings. And there was a point in, uh, in midway, midway through the season, uh, you know, like I said, around week 12 or 13, when the Bengals were actually the one seed in the AFC. And I was just like, this is not real, right? And then sure enough, they I think they immediately lost like their next two games. And that pretty much, you know, put the kibosh on that. Well, you know, fast forward to the start of the playoffs and – this entire playoff run for the Bengals, I don't know if you agree, Will, but I haven't been impressed with I, – I, I know they beat the Chiefs, and certainly no, that was somewhat unexpected, especially the way it did unfold when you consider you know the way the Chiefs started out in that first half. But I still feel like if, if Derek Carr doesn't – you know, spike the ball, you know, for, I, I, I don't even know why. I still, it still baffles me sometimes when veteran quarterbacks don't have a, a, a great handle on, in, on clock management. And so he, he gives up the down in that first playoff game. And, and you know, when the, the Raiders are going in trying for, uh, I think it would have been, was that going to be a game time touchdown or would they say, I can't remember the exact score. Nevertheless, though, at the very least, the Raiders were going to, we had a great opportunity to tie that game when he when he clocks it at the ten yard line. I don't know if you remember well that play, but he, he needlessly gives up a down because all they had to do was get to the line of scrimmage. It, it was like around thirty five seconds, yeah. so it wasn't. It, this wasn't a Dak Prescott situation where the clock was getting away from them and they needed to clock it. Right? This was. We've got plenty of time. We could take four shots at the end zone, and so I always felt like that Raiders game was a bit of a gift. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like the Titans, you know, the Titans certainly, if they had taken advantage of plenty of opportunities offensively that they had, you know, that's just, you know, do you believe in Brian Tannehill? Well, I don't. And that certainly didn't give me any reason to start believing him, believing in him. So I think the Titans kind of, uh, you know, gave the Bengals that game. And then, yeah, like, sure, the Bengals did a nice job defensively in the second half, forcing Patrick Mahomes 
to essentially play against uh, eight-man coverage in the secondary. And, you know, I, I don't. that's one of the worst games I've seen Patrick Mahomes play as a pro. I, I don't, you know, and I'm not quite sure why. I guess this maybe leads to a, a bigger discussion about how much Tom Brady has kind of broken my brain mm. and how I the expectation of perfection from quarterbacks is just when you when you deem the guy you know one of the top quarterbacks in the league you just whether it's Rodgers and Brady you almost expect perfection every time right yep and clear, clearly that's not always the case but so the, the Bengals forced the Chiefs to take what uh, they were giving them and for whatever reason you know Patrick Mahomes I don't know you know it was that 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 first touchdown when or was the second touchdown when he spun around in the pocket was able to avoid a defender and he actually ended up uh, throwing a touchdown pass I think it was to Tyree Hill in that one in the conference championship game and and so for the rest of the game Patrick Mahomes then had this like uh, irrational confidence where he was spinning in the pocket and instead of just taking off and running and you know picking up you know possible first downs he would stick in the pocket and like try and spin again he did this multiple times in the second half so it was just a weird performance from Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And so, you know, the way I the way I consumed that game, my takeaway was, boy, the Chiefs let that one get away. And, and granted, the Bengals took advantage of their opportunity. But this entire playoff run by them has really been, um, you know, serendipitous. And, and in some ways, I, I still don't believe. So they're going to have to go, I guess, make, make me a believer yet again and prove me wrong. Because I, it's just the Rams, I think, come into this game with more talent. And I think, you know, unless the nerves really get to them, I think this is, for them, a little more critical because the Bengals, I feel like, are playing with house money here because it is so early in uh, Joe Burrow's career. So I guess I never really was a believer for this season, and I, I still am not. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at with the Bengals. But it's interesting because if they can pull it off, all of a sudden, you know, I think the real conversation is just going to be, you know, Joe Cool, as you mentioned, Joe Burrow, and just where he, he is going to rate now amongst the best quarterbacks in the league because we all know that offensive line leaves a lot to be desired from the Bengals. So, you know, what he's doing, just he, he has, uh, I think, proven at the, at the NFL level now that he has a mind where you can ask him to do a lot and he can, he can really lift his teammates and his team up and so, you know, they're, they're a 10 and 7 football team, uh, heading into the playoffs that has gone, uh, on a nice run here. And, uh, we'll see what they can do, but I still have a hard time believing that they're actually going to pull this off. Yeah, I'm I'm on the Bengals bandwagon, so I'm I'm pulling for them, but I'm also cool with Matt Stafford winning. You know, if the Rams do get it, if they win it, good for them as well. So I'm kind of in my mind, it's kind of win-win. But yeah, you know, with the Bengals, so you, you kind of alluded to the right the Rams earlier. Maybe they have the weight on their shoulder, maybe the pressure, because they're supposed to be here. I think you made a good point too. It's like, yeah, it's their home stadium, home city, but it's so corporate. Uh you know, that might help them in terms of being able to stay close by practicing at, you know, their nearby facilities. But from the Bengals side of things, I don't know if they're thinking this, but maybe they're thinking, okay, it's, it's, we're, we don't have the, quite the pressure on us. We're not supposed to be here. Uh, playing with house money, maybe they're like, I mean, not to say they won't be nervous or have that any kind of pressure themselves, but, you know, maybe they can kind of just play loose and get off to a fast start and then who knows. But, 
Um, I guess that could be a Bengals advantage. Maybe it's just, you know, but that only goes so far once the game actually starts. And like, I know their tight end, uh, CJ Azuma, uh, sprained MCL says he's not going to miss this game. And I mean, who could blame him? But, uh, so that might be a, a concern or of course, like you mentioned the O line. So, do you think this game can be close or, I mean, it's a Super Bowl, so it's kind of, I don't know. We don't see a ton of blowouts <laughs> except for like Seattle, Denver a couple years ago. So it's interesting. And this is where, I mean, I'm not too much older than you will. I'm 41, but my childhood actually, I grew up with basically every Super Bowl being a blowout. True. And it was, yeah. you know, like, cause I was growing up, you know, I, the first football, actually the first football game I remember watching, believe it or not, was uh, the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, uh-huh, 19, yeah. the 1989 Super Bowl, the 49ers against the Bengals, when the uh, original Joe Cool, Joe Montana, yep. led the 49ers, you know, to a uh, two-minute uh, comeback victory against the Bengals there. And that's actually that I was eight years old, and that's the first game I actually have, like, a, like a memory of watching, you know, where, like, that's the one where it stuck out, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a football fan for life here. I love this. And so, but for the longest time, that was kind of an anomaly. Usually, um, there was, like, you know, the NFC game, like, sandwiched around that game. That was probably one of the only uh, close Super Bowls for a long, long period of time because uh, Bears fans know they just destroyed, you know, the Patriots, the Giants, destroyed the Broncos the next year. The formerly Redskins crushed the Broncos. And it was just, it was the NFC team was always destroying for the most part, the AFC teams for a long, long period of time. And then we finally, you know, hit the late nineties and it was finally the Broncos who snapped the NFC's dominance when they beat the Packers. And, you know, John Elway got his first Super Bowl win. And from then on, that's when things finally seemed like they shifted and it was always going to be uh, a blowout. You felt more often than that, especially when the Patriots started to become involved in games. It was like, okay, we're, we're going to have some drama here. So there's been, you know, I, I do now because most recent history has been, uh, you know, closer games. I do anticipate that this game will probably be, hey, I think we're going to, you know, within, I, I'd say, I think the Rams, I don't think they run away and hide. I think the Bengals probably keep it within, you know, a, a, 10 point margin at worst here. Mm-hmm. And so I think that'll, from that aspect, it'll be entertaining. And then that's where you get to well, who's going to execute in the fourth quarter. If you mentioned yeah. nerves. I think the one thing is like, it's really hard to envision like all these players, you know, especially the guys who have never played in a Super Bowl before. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the vast majority. There are a few ramps who are still leftovers from the previous Super Bowl when they played the Patriots. But for the most part, all these players that are playing in their first Super Bowl, it's impossible not to have the nerves, yeah. right? It's gonna be it's gonna be the ones though. And and this is where we as just consumers of the sport, you don't really know who's gonna let it get to them until they get on get out onto the field. And then when you see guys maybe make some uncharacteristic drops or, you know, some some, you know, jittery moves, then you can kinda like get the feel like, oh, that doesn't look right. He he needs to he needs to figure it out quickly. Otherwise, uh, he could be in for a long afternoon. But it's one of those things where I don't think we really know or have a feeling about it until we actually see the first, you know, couple of drives unfold. So that's the hard part. And that's actually, though, if you're uh, if you're a better, I that's one of those situations where I truly look into if you uh, have a site that you know you like to live bet on. That's where I would say uh, this is this could be those opportunities where you try and take advantage of the team that looks 
a little bit more nervous in the early uh, outset of the game. The Bengals, Joe Burrow, uh, who knows? Like we, Dan Marino got to one in the beginning of his career and never got back, right? And so it's easy to, and I, I agree. I do think it seems obvious or it seems likely anyway that, you know, we're just getting started with the Joe Burrow Bengals thing. And like, you know, whether or not they win this year, it seems like they might get back there uh, at least at least one more time in the next. So this is, that's the one thing though. And I've had that same thought about Marino. It's funny yeah. that you mentioned him because yeah, that was my, my thought too. Is that's the one thing is, you know, just the fleeting nature of getting back to the Super Bowl. It feels like, like the one thing, uh, the one, uh, I don't know if it's staff, but the one uh, achievement that I found really interesting was that the Bengals became the first team in NFL history to have uh, a 4,000 yard passer uh, a thousand yard rusher and two one thousand yard receivers, all twenty five or under in Burrow, Mixon, uh, Chase, and Higgins. Right, so clearly you've got all these all this great young talent. But like you mentioned, it's you know even even though you think, oh yeah, sure they got there now and they're ahead, they're out of schedule. But the reality is too, when you look around the league, you're like, you know what, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert aren't going anywhere, you know, and they're all in that conference. So it's going to be a hellacious landscape to try and navigate right. year after year with those guys in place. And then, oh, by the way, Lamar Jackson's there as well. He's a league MVP. So it's not like it's going to be a cakewalk because all the really great young quarterbacks right now seem to reside in the AFC. So even though as good as Burrow looks right now and as confident and as cool as he seems, it certainly could you know, Dan Marino was always confident and cool, and no one ever thought that he would only, you know, have one appearance. But sure enough, that's the way it unfolded. So, yeah, that's the other, you know, the other aspect of it is as much as I would like to see the Rams, you know, get one, I wouldn't be, you know, it is either team, you can kind of look and see the positive and be excited if you're just a football fan and you're unbiased and you don't have like a general rooting interest. Yeah. I was curious too with the, with the Bengals. I don't think we've, we've, kind of touched on it but um i know i was thinking about like you mentioned the titans game and you, you know going back to that actually it is funny because i agree i don't think the Bengals have necessarily been super impressive in any of their playoff victories you know you said it the raiders game could have gone either way I, I think i don't think we touched on this i know there was controversy in that raiders game too with like and whistle yeah there was that so there was that game i could have in my mind i could have gone either way uh Titans game, I thought, yeah, the Bengals could win. I know Tennessee was a one seed, but I wasn't super impressed with Tennessee. I never thought Tannehill was going to be the guy that could really get them over that hump. And, you know, it is what it is. But um, I thought, okay, they could probably be Tennessee. And, you know, I was, whether you want to say it was ugly or whatever. Um, and then, of course, the Chiefs game, like you said, second half, they came to play after the way they were going to get blown out. The Chiefs game, I was so confident the Chiefs were going to was, destroy the yeah. Bengals. And honestly, even now, even the Chiefs losing that game, you know, this could be sometimes where you can't get, you know, you can't get out of your own head. But I'm still convinced I was right about that game. I don't know how things went so sideways in the Chiefs when you consider they were just destroying the Bengals. The first three drives could not have gone more perfect. Right. And then because they, you know, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes combined to, for whatever reason, throw that weird out at, you know, uh, to Tyreek Hill at the end of the half. And things go completely off the rails when they really, you know, they really shouldn't have. I mean, I think, you know, they at least if they take a field goal there, 
they go in halftime up, you know, 14 points and they're getting the ball back. And it feels like they probably, you know, close that game out somehow, some way, though. I'll, listen, you have to give the Bengals credit for finding a, finding a way to stymie the Chiefs and fight through it. And so maybe the defense is a little bit underrated in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I still, I don't know, for as long as I live, I feel like I picked that game correctly, even though the Bengals come back and win it. Yeah, yeah. I thought the Chiefs were definitely going to win that game, and I kind of thought it'd be kind of easily. And yeah, I the, I don't know. The Chiefs, I don't know if, if it's the fact that the Chiefs felt off all year, because I know they won like, what was it, 11, 12 games. They won like eight in a row at that, you know, they actually lost to the Bengals twice, of course, but I, I don't know. I think it's expectations. I think it's because of what we've seen from Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the years prior that even though they were a really good team this year, it maybe felt a little off. I know they got off to a rocky start as well. Um, but yeah, I thought they would win that game for sure over the Bengals. But yeah, you know, going back to that Tennessee game, we saw the O-line for the Bengals was horrible. Bro was sacked nine times. So it's kind of like, I don't think the Bengals had an offensive touchdown in that game against Tennessee, and yet they were still able to win in spite of being sacked nine times. So it's like, you know, it's like maybe Destiny's on their side, at least to this point. Uh, in turn, and I, I agreed. I still give them credit for sure, but it's kind of like they've had a little bit of luck, which any team will need. They've been good when they when they needed to be. Um, but is that lack of an O line going to just? I mean, you got Aaron Donald on the other side for the Rams, and you know it's like that's got to be a, a concern if you're a Bengals fan, right? Yeah, well, of course, and that's the question too. Where I wonder, like, I'm still not the other aspect why I have a hard time believing the Bengals can complete this run is because. I, you know, Zach Taylor has found a way to, like, he was in a bad place those first couple of years. Yeah. So the fact that he was able to avoid just being fired, you know, is a credit in some ways. But, like, I haven't been overly impressed with what he's done as uh, as the Bengals head coach. So that's another reason, too, where I'm a little bit skeptical. And, you know, I'm, you know, until he proves otherwise, I have to give the coaching advantage to Sean McVay, mm-hmm. you know, who was, you know, Zach Taylor's teacher in a lot of aspects of the game, right? As Taylor yeah. came from Sean McVay's staff. So yeah. it's one of those situations where I, I think if the Rams do what they're capable of doing, I do think they end up winning this one. And really, I think the Bengals' only shot is if the Rams' nerves get to them, they fail to take advantage of some of their opportunities, and then the ball is in Joe Burrow's hands late. And then, of course, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel comfortable betting against Joe Burrow in that scenario. But ultimately, um, you know, I just, I don't believe in Zach Taylor yet. And a lot of the, it's, it's really just a, are you so smitten with Joe Burrow mm-hmm. that you think he can overcome a lot of the issues? Um, and the offensive line, of course, being one of the bigger ones. I think it seems like if Zach Taylor is smart, he'll recognize that it's going to be a, such a huge disadvantage because they have so many game records and Donald and Von Miller. And then Leonard Floyd can, you know, attack you. Um, when he doesn't, he only gets single uh, block. So, like, it could be such a uh, game wrecking situation for them that I think their plan should absolutely be, you know, some mixed misdirection runs and a lot of short passes. Yeah. And so, if Burrow's getting the ball out quickly, that could, in some ways, neutralize the Rams' pass rush. But the question is, then, will that, you know, will that lead to enough big gainers? Because 
really that's the big thing that has made the Bengals a successful offense this year is that, you know, they I think they had the most uh, 50-yard passes in the league, and obviously a huge portion of that goes to Jamar Chase and, you know, Burrow being able to find him deep, but also T. Higgins gives you that element as well. So the Bengals, for a large part of their offense and, you know, yardage totals have come because of the big play. I don't know if they're going to have the opportunity to do that with the Rams' pass rush. So if they're smart and they try and, you know, uh, work with a small, uh, short passing game, get the ball out quickly, will the Bengals be able to do enough offensively if that is the game plan that they have to employ? Uh, before we uh, wrap up, I thought it was interesting too that you know Andrew Whitworth spent his entire career in Cincinnati only to go to LA and then get to face his former team at the age of 40. So uh, win or lose, it's got to be, uh, I guess, kind of, well, especially if they lose, bittersweet. I mean, I don't know. I... It just it's just it's just interesting. <laughs> I don't think Whitworth will have any uh, really really good feelings about the yeah. uh, no. the loss. If it, you know, I know what you're saying you you know sometimes you know you wonder if guys spend so much time in the yeah. organization if they can feel you know. I I think the question would be you know if if like the Rams had not made it there and then the Bengals oh, did yeah would would, would would Whitworth you know feel good for some of his former teammates on the Bengals? Exactly. But Whitworth's already been with the the Rams for, you know, quite a while now. So I'm trying to think, like, I don't know how many guys uh, he actually overlapped with this. You know, you get to the point where, you know, the the uh, turnover in the NFL on a roster, once you get, like, three or four years removed, you know, it's pretty substantial. So I'd have to take a, I'd have to go back and take a look. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's not, not really a whole lot of former players who Whitworth played with, uh, you know, when he was on the Bengals. It's 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 interesting that uh, he probably I mean who knows but four years ago when he went to L.A. but it's hard it's 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 I've never really anticipated the Bengals ever getting to this point so it's pretty interesting that they actually are here so we'll see how it all kind of shakes out now you got the Rams winning and um, do you have like a score prediction I know you said the Bengals might be able to keep it with about you know within ten or so yeah I mean if I had to throw out a score I'd probably go something around Rams thirty one you know. Bengals probably I'd probably give them like 23 I don't know I don't really put a whole lot of stock in uh, specific scores though you know what I mean it's just kind of like pulling random numbers Mm -hmm. and even if I even if I uh, randomly guessed it correctly you know I couldn't put I couldn't tell you with a whole lot of uh, fervor that it was done with any you know real degree of confidence here Um, so but yeah I guess I'd I'd probably call like 31-23 and I'd give the Rams the win Uh, but if if for whatever reason the Bengals can pull this one off, boy, the the discussions surrounding Joe Burrow and you know the next great you know quarterback in the league will be will be quite something. And honestly, if you think about it, if Burrow could pull off a win and lead the Bengals to a Super Bowl win, just think about the the, the incredible three year stretch he would have had. You know, with the, the like. I mean, the run the Tigers went on, the LSU Tigers, when you um, won the yeah. Heisman, like, I, I, honestly, I, it's hard to, yeah, I think it's been said, I'm not the first person to say it, the greatest football season by a college football player ever, right? Like, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow's season with the uh, LSU Tigers was, I don't think, you know, maybe you could you throw someone out there who would match it, but I don't know if you could say it's, it'll, it'll ever be topped, what he was able to do. And then to go to the Bengals, 
deal with the ACL injury and then if he could somehow win a Super Bowl like what a three year run for him that would be just incredible so it, like no matter what whoever ends up winning this one it like you know I will feel happy for somebody when when the day is uh, concluded on Sunday you know what I mean